The church is not known for critical thinking. I think this is something we can all agree on. But even beyond that, growing up in the church, you're taught that the Bible is infallible. So what happens when you start to question what you've always been taught to believe? And when the people you've looked up to start to behave in a way that seems the opposite of what you know being a Christian is. But with the trifecta of COVID, the death of George Floyd, and Trump, my guest today, Tim Whitaker, was moved to create the New Evangelicals, a powerful community for those committed to Jesus, but deconstructing the faith they've grown up with. You're listening to We Need to Talk. We need to talk. Tim Whitaker of the famed New Evangelicals. Famed? Okay, you're going with the blue check mark, okay? I don't want to hear about famed. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk to you, friend. Thank you so much for for being on We Need to Talk because we got a lot to talk about. Uh, as we do on a daily basis, there's been so much yeah. going on. And I know by the time this airs, there's probably going to be a hundred times more things to chat about. But um, yeah. before yeah. we even get deep into all of those topics and, and start getting frustrated, because <laughs> uh, that's what's going to happen, I... Yeah. I'm really, I don't even know how I came across your your platform during the pandemic, but I was so grateful to find it. And I just love this community that you've built for people that have felt like they didn't have a place to go. But I'm really curious how you came up with the idea to start the community and why the name? Because I was really taken in by the new evangelicals and I loved it. <laughs> okay, so there's like two answers to that. The first answer of how I even started or thought about this, really, we can thank one person. You ready? Yes. <laughs> Sean Foyt. Oh, my gosh. The, the, yeah, the worship leader lot, who was protesting mask mandates in 2020. I was watching him silly committed, still fully committed to evangelical churches. I was still playing at a church. I thought to myself, this is this is crazy. We need yeah. like a better evangelical tradition. We need new evangelicals. That's how the term came to me, watching mm. the Sean Foyt video, just yeah. full of frustration. The name came to me because at the time I was like, we have to push forward. Like we have to think about better ways forward. I still believe that. But I think at the time I was kind of ignorant just to how deep a lot of the rot with goes in the evangelical church specifically the white evangelical church specifically yeah. um and so the way i think about it now is the term evangelical has shifted i mean early early evangelicals like through the western tradition they were abolitionists they were egalitarian they were pretty progressive and right. forward thinking so i'm like let's reclaim some of that you know so certainly we, we, we can still use the name but we have to really rethink what it means to be an evangelical and kind of look to our past to hopefully inform our future as we move along. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that you say that because I mean, we, we talked about this before, but the branding and I hate using that word, but that's what it's become. Right. Branding of Christianity and evangelicalism has truly become synonymous with so many negative things. So that's one of the reasons why I did love what you were doing because you are trying to essentially rebrand it or brand it back. <laughs> I'm trying to take <laughs> it back, right? Yeah, you're trying to take it back. Yeah. But how And how have you found you've been successful in doing that? I mean, you know, it's one day at a time, right? Trying to have this movement, trying to encourage people, trying to just yeah. be, meet people where they're at in their faith journeys. But do you feel like you're starting to be a little successful with what your attempts are? It feels awkward talking about how successful you think you are. You know what I mean? Like you understand yeah, as an artist, sure, like, so sure. how successful are you? Well, I, I think I'm doing okay, but I 
history will tell the story, right? Yeah. So like, yeah. you know, there are a lot of large platforms that do amazing work that I love and learn from. I don't know. One of my hesitations before even launching this, I mean, I, I had the name for a couple of months. I was like, I don't know. That's a pretty audacious name. And like, what if we fail? I'm a type six on the Enneagram. So fear is like a core value of mine. So I'm just like, what if we fail? And I have egg on my face. But eventually I went for it. And I I think for the community that we have, we're helping. I think we're helping them find better ways forward outside of the basement of evangelicalism. I think that's happening. As far as the, the, the general evangelical culture, I have no clue how we're perceived. And we're only about a year and a half into this, you know? Yeah. So it's just hard to know, but we're certainly doing what we can in our little corner just to try and rethink things and to disentangle our faith from, you know, racism, misogyny, homophobia, nationalism, and just thinking about there has to be better paths forward. Luckily there yeah. are, and we're For just sure. trying to learn from them, honestly. Yeah. And I think one of the beautiful things I also love about the community is how open and um, comfortable people are being vulnerable with where they are in their specific journeys and their past and their experiences with evangelicalism. But one thing I want to ask you is where are you in your personal faith journey? <laughs> regarding, I mean, uh, like regarding like what I believe, mm-hmm. like hmm. regarding yeah. what you believe, yeah. um, what you have had to unlearn, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, what you want of a church or, you know, what you think of the the phrase Christian, the term Christian, just where yeah. are you in that whole journey? Because it's complicated. It's, and I know it's different for every single person. It very much is like a spaghetti bowl. You're just kind of like, oh, they're, they're connected. They're touching. I don't know how they're interwoven. Now I'm kind of picking it apart like strand by strand. You know, I think as far as my theology you know, I grew up homeschooled and, and, and I grew up in like John MacArthur type fundamentalist theologies. And so, so much of what I was taught about just what the Bible objectively is, how to read the Bible objectively, all those categories I've had to completely dismantle and, and rethink because I, I, I'm so committed to Jesus. Like I still, I still appreciate the Bible. I think the Bible in a lot of ways is still divinely inspired, but what that means has shifted so much for me. And it's had to, because I think I got to a point in my life where I just said that the answers that evangelicalism gave me are not sufficient for the world I'm experiencing. Hmm. And, and luckily for me, I'm not the only person asking those questions. And there are brilliant people who have been thinking about these questions way before I was around, uh, even born. And so kind of tapping into some of their thoughts has been just really helpful. Yeah. But I'm I'm still very much in like explorer mode now. You know, like yeah. I, I know where I come from. And I think an analogy to kind of ground this would be I, I, I've walked out of the basement of evangelicalism. And I'm just kind of exploring the, the house of Christian thought. Like it's so yeah. big. There's so much going on. I'm not ready to, I'm not ready to like park in a new room and say, this is my room. I'm more just like, that was cool. But what else is out there? Just kind yeah. of like taking notes. I, I think that. that's kind of where I'm at. It's a, it's a little vague, but that's just no, where I, I am. Love that. I love that. The exploration. And I love that, that picture that you painted. How much pushback have you gotten though, from your past connections and your former church and all of that, because you have decided to critically think and ask questions? <laughs> Well, when you put it like that, I mean, I lost my faith community <laughs> over this. You know, it's it's not a it's not a secret. It's, it, I podcasted about it, but yeah. I, I started this account when I was still heavily committed to and involved with an evangelical church as a volunteer drummer. One of those like one of those like all in volunteers. I'm sure your audience knows what I'm talking about. Where yeah. you're just so committed. Yeah. And uh, you know, I lost that within a few months of starting the account, and 
all those relationships, well, 90% of them, uh, you know, fell away and um, crazy painful, eye-opening, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of therapy. But um, it, at this point, you know, a lot of the anger has subsided um, and the scars there. So I think I'll, I'll always have that moment of my life that, that is permanently marked by that trauma. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm, I have to move on. I have to find better ways forward ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about this before on mm -hmm. on your show and just, you know, in our personal conversations, but I have always pretty much grown up in a progressive setting. So being on this side was just always normal for me. Right. Mm -hmm. I never had to actually go through that. What I did go through as we, we meant, I mentioned with you before, was being at a conservative evangelical school and being like, what is this? Like, right. <laughs> what is wrong with you people? Right. <laughs> Um, like right. I was so confused. So I've never actually had to go through that trauma of losing what you grew up with and losing people that you loved and thought, you know, you thought the same way and et cetera, et cetera. But my question to you is, had Trump not happened, do you think who you are as a person that you still would have ended up on this side regardless? I think eventually. I don't think as accelerated. Yeah. yeah. Does that make sense? Like, yes, I think I, I've always been sniffing something a little stinky you know but i've been able to kind of ignore it because you know the lights are, are cool and i'm playing drums here and i have good friends <laughs> right. you're blinded by the lights that's what I, happens I, literally blinding and, lights and you feel yeah. the modulations in the music. right i get right it. right right there with you <laughs> i'm slowing those symbols the holy spirit's here how can i leave right um so so that's true i think trump was like just tearing that trash bag open mm. it was like whoa this is i can't ignore this anymore I, and then, of course, I, 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 the way I explain it is there were three ingredients that I think all compounded. Of course, you have the Trump 2016 stuff that we can talk about. Then you have the murder of George Floyd, the lynching of Ahmaud Arbery, uh, you know, the, the killing of uh, Breonna Taylor. And I'm thinking to myself as a white man who's never thought about racism. It's always been a thing in the past, right? Like we used to yeah. do this as Americans, not anymore. But I go, I don't know, guys. Like I, I don't, again, no categories, no books, no shelf space in my head. But just a, a sixth sense of something is not right. Don't yeah. know what it is yet. But again, another smell of like, oh, that's a different odor that is stronger than ever. And then you add the COVID response, the church COVID response. And, you know, the the I'm not going to be masked up and vaccines are terrible and the the, the conspiracies. And that's a third smell. And mm -hmm. then you have so you have the, you have these like three really gross smells in one. And you're just like. <laughs> I, again, I don't know where the trash is. I don't know why it smells this way, but I have to find out. I yeah. must find out. And so I think it accelerated the process. But I think yeah. I would have gotten there maybe in 10 years from now fully, right? Yeah. But I think that this whole process really pushed it forward. Yeah. I'm so, I mean, thankful to Trump for that, right? Yeah, I <laughs> guess. Sean, I guess. I guess. You know, I'll let you say that. <laughs> You, you you mentioned, you know, the church COVID response, which mm. I also was just floored by and yet not surprised simultaneously. And that's what upset me even more that I wasn't surprised by it. But it, it just it bothered me beyond belief. But, you know, now recently we're seeing kind of a similar response with student loan forgiveness. Right. Mm. And it's it's heavily within the Christian evangelical conservative Republican communities that this response of why should I do this? Why should I do this? And this act of helping others is foreign 
to people that subscribe to a religion that is really supposed to be based on that, right? And it's driving me up a wall. And as I said before we even started, I was like, I can't even form a tweet because I'm so frustrated by this response and by how Christianity has been essentially hijacked by people that I view as being selfish. And I don't know when we've gotten out of this act of not being selfless when that's exactly what Jesus did. And I love, and I'm sure you've seen these these tweets and these posts of like this entire faith is based on somebody paying your debt and you are not okay with this. So I would just love to hear your response to specifically now that we're in it, you know, student loan forgiveness and all of that that's been happening, specifically the response from Christians. Well, I, I, you know, I'll just speak from, from my, my vantage point. I think most of this comes from like white conservative evangelicals. I mean, I'm sure Correct. maybe there are parts of the black church that, that do this, but in my experience, it's usually not that way. <laughs> usually this is white evangelical conservatives, uh, you know, uh, that, that are kind of the culprit here, even historically. And I say that because this is not new. And yeah. I, 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 you know, I had this, uh, we can call it an epiphany a couple of weeks ago where I said, you know, I think I've been looking at all of this with the wrong lens. Mm-hmm. I've been looking at this from the lens of, what if we read Jesus and took them literally? Like, you know, how I was taught to read the Bible, like just read the Sermon on the Mount. But when you get rid of that lens and you put the lens of power, control, authority, domination, uh, maintaining power structures, mm-hmm. this all makes sense. And, sure. here's, and here's why, right? Like the student loan example is a great example. When the PPP loans happen, a lot of these people who are critiquing student forgiveness or loan forgiveness have taken out loans. I posted them. I posted Sean Foyt's PPP. It's publicly available. Yeah. And and so why is government suddenly now doing something unethical? But when it forgave the loans during the COVID, it was no problem. It was, oh, it, there was no conversation around who was going to pay for it. Because all of a sudden, who benefits? Mm-hmm. Not Sean Foyt, not, not, not white megachurch pastor, not the Republican person. I mean, some will definitely inevitably, inevitably benefit. But sure, like the, sure. the power structure benefited from PPP and also Trump was in power when that happened. And now that Biden's in power, it has to be bad. So that helped me make a lot more sense out of like, okay, what's the ethic here? Yeah. I mean, another example, think about how we watch people go from back of the blue, blue lives matter to defund the FBI. Literally Marjorie Taylor Greene tweeted that, right? She has merch too. She has merch. I mean, same thing with even the Capitol Police. I've listened to Ali Stuckey podcast episodes where she brings on Alex Jones level reporters, quote unquote, mm-hmm. to say the Capitol Police started the insurrection. Whoa, whoa, Ali, um, a year ago, it was back to the blue. What mm-hmm. changed? Well, who does it benefit? What? How does that narrative benefit Ali? That's when it's going to shift. So if you look at, at, at these things through the lens of maintaining the dominant position, mm-hmm. maintaining power, maintaining control, then all of this fits into place. But if you use a typical, even conservative evangelical framework, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense, let alone, yeah. let alone a progressive framework. You're going to yeah. be just you know spinning your wheels because it's the wrong lens, in my opinion. That's a really good way to look at it. I mean, there's so many, I feel like there's plenty of ways to look at it, but I really love how you just, you laid it out and it makes complete sense for sure. It makes complete sense. And I think another thing, at least for me, obviously in in my experience, a lot of people also don't realize the correlation between, you know, student loan forgiveness and all this and racism. Mm. And I feel like nobody wants to have that conversation because you got to talk about it a lot. It's deep. You know, if you 
pay off people's loans and allow give them forgiveness, specifically people of color that have all this debt and then aren't getting the jobs that they want and are searching for after going through all this debt from going to school, if you actually pay those off, you would close the racial wealth gap significantly. Mm. Mm. They don't want to do that. That's so interesting because, you know, I, I'm, I'm, and people know this is no secret. I, I'm so, I'm new to my own decolonization, right? Like mm. I walked into this world maybe two years ago and maybe the past like year and a half, I've been really like trying to unpack the white evangelical spaces I grew up in where I didn't realize any of this, right? I just wasn't taught it. I had no, I had no lens for it. Of course, mm. I, I didn't experience it. I'm a white male, the most privileged type of person who exists in America, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so it is amazing to even hear you say that because it's like, I never thought about that till right now. Like right. I never put two and two together like that. Yeah. I mean, to you, it's so obvious to me. It's like, oh yeah, it's obvious now, but I still don't always have the categories or the, the lens for seeing how much of this is steeped in white supremacy yeah. thought and how yeah. much, how much of white evangelicalism is steeped yeah. in white supremacy thought without them even knowing it. Yeah. Without, yeah. You know, I mean, I think one quick example, if you don't mind is I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the, almost almost several semi-viral sermon of ed young doing a a, a sermon on woke versus awake where yes. he pretty much he hijacks the, the term woke and then just completely <laughs> honestly in my opinion he commits violence and just completely dehumanizes the, that term in the black community mm-hmm. and like you know three years four years ago tim me i'll be like i don't get it like, what's the big deal you mm-hmm. know but mm-hmm. like having these new lenses that i'm starting to dial in a little bit so much work to go yeah, for sure. But it's like, oh, my God, like he's literally appropriating a term and profiting <laughs> off of it. And his audience takes it as gospel. That's yeah. how this cycle works. So seeing it from the outside. And again, it doesn't even this doesn't even affect me. But just seeing it as a white man makes me angry because I've been unintentionally complicit in this before. Yeah. But also now that I'm starting to see it, I'm like, this is unjust. This is so wrong. But yeah. it's 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 if you're in it, you, you don't see it that way. And it's a problem. You know, it's a problem. for sure. For sure. And I'll, I'll give you a, a little more nuggets of, of knowledge in regards to education and, and racism and all of that. And people never want to know the truth or admit this, but it does literally go all the way back to slavery. Because if you wow. think about it, black people were not allowed to be educated. We were not allowed to read. We were not allowed to write, right? So there was almost, there was a fear of education as we grew and that's trickled down into generations. But when people finally break from that mold and get the opportunity, they take out these huge loans like, hey, my family wasn't able to get education, to go to college, whatever. I'm going to make this happen. So then you take out, you know, hundreds, thousands of dollars of loans. You graduate. Then you try to get a job and you're still, still almost forbidden from even getting work in the field Mm -hmm. that you just got a degree in. So then you, you know, then you get some sort of job, which is not paying from based on the education that you have. So now those loans are being forgiven. That's going to close that gap that I was talking about. They don't want that to happen. Wow. That makes complete sense. Yeah. (laughs) When you say it like that, you know, it makes complete sense. Wow. Thank you for sharing. I mean, of course, of course. And I just, people don't want to have that conversation. Well, I, I feel like I feel like white people don't want to have that conversation. Yes. Like Ali Sucky doesn't want to have that conversation. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Like, you know, I attract these people. You know, I mean, yeah. they are they have an allergy, it seems like, you know, and, and they've done a great, unfortunately, a great un, uh, job of, of hijacking that term woke and making everything this like catch all phrase. And it's very mm-hmm. frustrating to watch happen. 
yeah. you know, because you talk like that and, oh, are, are you, are you quote unquote woke? It's like, first off, that's disgusting because it's actually, it's a, uh, actually it's, it's rooted in black culture, that term. Yes. So stop yes. taking it. And yeah, also yeah. like, it's just, it's very frustrating to see happen, honestly. Yeah. Just, I, so. Do you as a white male get specifically pushback from other white people not understanding why you're taking the stances that you do? Hmm. I mean, I think sometimes I do, but it's mm-hmm. not positioned that way, right? So it's not like, hey, white guy, like, how are you holding these these anti-racist positions? It's more of like, like you're not really a Christian. You're just you're 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 the other side. You know, you you critique Christian nationalism, but you're just the other side of that. It's that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, but honestly, Melinda, to be transparent with you, as a white man, even in the deconstruction space, I get very little hate. Very little, very little, which mm-hmm. I have friends who are women and in the queer community and people of color. And they get, I mean, a, one example is I was talking to a friend a while ago and she made a joke, but she was serious. I'm like, yeah, you know, all those death threats you get. I'm like, yeah, wait, what? You get death threats? She's like, yeah, I've gotten death threats before. I'm like, oh, I've yeah. never gotten a death threat. Never. You'd never, never. want to see my DMs. <laughs> I, I, exactly. And, and that was another moment, again, just for me, of even being in this space of realizing like, even here, just who I am affords me a, a barrier of sorts where I don't mm-hmm. get a lot of like, I mean, I've gotten one or two and, and out of 10,000 DMs, you know, because we get so many a day, I've gotten, the ratio is tiny yeah. compared to what, like what I've, I've heard or seen other people get, which yeah. is just like, wow. I mean, what, what can I say to that besides I'm just flabbergasted? Yeah, it's. It's in, it doesn't affect me anymore, honestly. And God, I, I used to be that person. Like, I'm not going to block anybody. I'm going to try to engage. Oh, my God. The block button is my favorite now. Mm. <laughs> I just, I, I don't need to let that into my, into my world. Like, I don't need that to affect my energy, affect my positivity, whatever. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know my heart. I know what I'm saying. I know who I'm supposed to stand up for. Like, I don't need to engage. Now, I will say there have been people that I have talked to with so much kindness that it has made them reflect on how nasty they've been. And that's, that, that's what I love. I yeah. absolutely love when you introduce some, you know, somebody to themselves and show them the mirror and they're like, Oh, like they wanted to have a fight with me and I didn't give it to them. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's happened to me a few times. I love the audio message feature for me because they hear my tone of voice. Like, Hey, you've been being here, you know, you, you can calm down with the rhetoric. Yeah. I, I do wonder I, mean, I don't know. I didn't plan on saying this. I would love your thoughts on this, frankly. So, you know, new evangelicals on Instagram, we're really big on community, on conversation and mm-hmm. I am open to dialogue, but I'm wondering if the reason why I even can be is because of my own privilege, because mm-hmm. I don't get so much hate. Like, I, I think you're, I think you're right. If every day I had people in my DMs attacking me based on what I look like or what I said, and they were super nasty and, and like borderline doxing, I don't know how long I could try and have that open dialogue. I'm not going to block anybody kind of mentality. I just, I'm just thinking about this right now in the moment. I mean, this, this is a live thought like out there in, in yeah. the air, yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. I just, even that is a sign. I think of just like how my own privilege affords me to even do some of this work because of how other white men will treat me compared to someone who doesn't, doesn't look like me or act like me. Does that make yeah. sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you are using your privilege for good, but I do think you're absolutely correct. They're not going to come at you the same way that they would come at someone like me at all, at all, because there's the superiority with them. Well, I, I, I mean, this is a brand new thought. This is like two, this is a two second old thought. 
talking to you in the moment of like, I, I don't, again, another layer of like, didn't even know I had this privilege, didn't even yeah. know it existed, but yeah. it obviously does. And like you said, I mean, you can't control like how you're born. You can't control those things, but like, okay, like what do we do with it? I think what is the question. Yeah. 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 Damn. Which is so crazy to me for white Christians specifically. Well, one, they have to admit that they even have privilege in the first place. But when you do and you claim to be a Christian, why would you not pay it forward? Why would you not give back? Why would you not do everything you possibly could to help others when the person that you claim to follow, that's what his entire life trajectory was about? Right. I mean, I I think that's why I get so frustrated with white evangelicals, because I mean, listen, when you, at least in my spaces, like you're taught from the beginning, like repentance, forgiveness, this is like one-on-one to being a Christian. So it's like, well, if you find out, you know, something like this, that, hey, like how, how you are in the world is the culture's bent towards you succeeding, right? Mm-hmm. And, and also, whether you realize it or not, you've used that to get places in life that maybe others can't get there. What did repentance and like self-reflection and an awareness of, oh my God, happen? And then wouldn't the, the logical step be like, well, if the if the Jesus I follow that we believe as Christians was God incarnate, carried his own execution device to his own death, hmm. right? I mean, talk about like a giving up of privilege for this, for the other in, in a sense right yeah yeah i mean wouldn't i mean there, there's a, it's a pretty clear connection of like as someone who again in our cultural moment has this inherent privilege what do i do with it and i have to be honest about it it's uncomfortable i don't like talking about it but it's also reality so like it makes sense that i would want to follow in the footsteps of someone who i can relate to in that way and say well what did he do with it well he he used it to try and bring equity he used it to give away that whatever, whatever he could. So I don't know. I don't want to sound like a, a white savior or anything like that. This is my point. I'm just right. like thinking through like what that might look like for Christians and why they don't see it that way. It, that yeah. part does perplex me, to be honest. Yeah. Does that make I sense? Wanna, it does make sense. Absolutely. But I want to kind of hone in on that phrase, white savior, for a second. Yeah. Because, and this is where... <laughs> This is going to sound funny, but this is where I truly actually feel bad for some white people that are trying to do the right thing. Because how do you and this is you specifically, but you as a collective, avoid being a white savior, but also using your privilege to make sure that other minorities have opportunity. You want the honest answer? Yeah. I do my best to listen to the black voices in our community. Mm. Like they they have to tell me that. Yeah. You know, I can't pretend to be like, oh, this is and this isn't. You know why? Because like I'm not the one being affected by what this could or couldn't do yeah. right and i feel like i feel like being a type a white man in america you're kind of just unintentionally uh, you assume that like you know whatever thoughts you have like are the are the standards right and like oh if i understand this i can then teach it and i think with new evangelicals and with like my position of like kind of being the face of this stuff i had to make a very intentional effort to be a student from the BIPOC community and to accept rebuke and correction whenever it was given. Mm. Like there are people in my DMs who have called me out before. And actually I consider them friends. I mean, we talk consistently and I've had to apologize and repent many times. Like, Mm -hmm. Oh my God, did not, I should have put a trigger warning here. I didn't realize what I said could be inherently racist. No idea. I think 
for me, that's kind of been the shift from like, no, I, I listen, I read a book by James Cone. I understand now, right? Like, let me just <laughs> right. explain it to you. Versus right. like, even in this conversation, it's like, I'm thinking through this. I could be wrong. Please tell me if I am. This yeah. is kind of where I am in the conversation. But willing to learn from voices that historically I've never um, ignorantly been taught to see as a voice of authority does that make yeah, sense <laughs> it does it does i mean it just it's humility and and that's what a lot of people unfortunately do lack but what i love about what you're saying is that you just don't center yourself and i think that that becomes the problem with a lot of people that are even trying to do good it's more about like what can i do what can i do rather than what do you need what do you want to say do you know what i'm saying Yes. There's a difference. Yes. There's very yes. much so a difference. Because when you say, what what can I do? What can I say? How can I help? You're asking the wrong questions. I, I think that shift for me was when I, I, in the beginning, I would say, we want to be a voice for the voiceless. And I think it was Joe Lumen who was like, hey, Tim, I hear you. But really, like, you should think about amplifying voices, like letting them speak and like letting them launch whatever platform you might have as a white person. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's. Yeah. That's super helpful, right? From difference. oh, I'm going to speak for, forgive the term, but you know these poor, these poor people who have been marginalized. I'll speak for them. Versus, like, actually, what if we did this together? And I was just a part of that conversation. Offered my skills, but what if we used their voices and yeah. their experience to be amplified yeah. here? That that's kind of the shift for me. Does that make sense? Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah. that's an important distinction that I I hope more and more people start to realize because I mean, I have jokes sometimes like with people that are like woke, but they're like trying to be like super, 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 super woke. And I'm like, you need to go back to sleep for a second and then wake up again because you're doing too much. (laughs) Yeah. I I think I'm just trying to let, let even less another right word. I'm just trying to be a follower of the BIPOC communities and, and also understand that they're nuanced. Okay, that's another thing that I think what people do. We have like our one black friend, like, oh, this person speaks for the whole community. Therefore, if I get their approval, I'm good. Yeah, but like, no. but no one does that for white folks. I would never do that for my, my one buddy. Say, oh, all white people are like this, right? Exactly. So there are all these moments where it's like, oh, oh, like, why did I do this to to the black community, but never to my own community? Yeah. So I think even that, even that realization of like. Is, is it helpful to have a few trusted friends from that community whenever I have like a video I want to do that might, you know, it's kind of, you know, um, difficult to communicate? Sure, I'm going to get feedback. But that doesn't mean that, that 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 somehow I have, you know, a pass and that that no one should critique me now, right? right. That's not how it works. <laughs> but I think a lot of folks, like, we just think that. And it's not healthy. We have to get rid of that. But yeah. I certainly was there for a bit. Like, oh, yeah, if I had this person's approval, I'm good. Yeah. That's, not, that's not healthy <laughs> at it's all. It's not, but it's also... I have grace for people that are going through that transition because I feel like that's just how you start and then you have to realize, you know, no one's going to get it right away. And it's just, you're just not going to get it right away. There's so much to figure out and so much to unpack and learn. So it's okay that you were there. You're not there anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I guess it is, I guess it's fair of like, how do you change 31 years of being wired a certain way in like, in like a day, right? But at the same time, I'm just being honest. I mean, I, I didn't plan on being this vulnerable, but here we are. I, I do feel like... I have that effect on people. <laughs> you do, you do. Well, we're also... I mean, I feel like you and I are friends. I got to be honest oh, with totally. you. We, Absolutely. We, Absolutely. we chat enough. But I, I also feel like that shouldn't... That that learning curve shouldn't have to happen at the expense of the Black community. Mm, yeah. I feel like sometimes it does, where it's like, well, you're overreacting. It's like, I get this every stinking day, 
Okay, like I, I get the frustration now when black people are like, I don't have time to like, you know, be like your emotional, you know, like you can't unload on me, man. Like ask for permission before you share with me this video or this idea. I, I get I didn't get that at first. I'm getting it more and more. Yeah. You know, or it's yeah. like right, right. Like they're they're again, it's about dehumanization. They're human beings, they're not just like approvals, right? Yeah. So like treat them as such. But it, I think it just shows how deep-seated even um um you know, subconscious racism is built in just the psyche of white people, whether they realize it or not. I'm not yeah. saying, you know, that I had bad intentions when I was 22, but I had no clue. I was so ignorant and that has an impact. And so I have to acknowledge that no matter what, because impact matters more than intent. It might be. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Hmm. Well, speaking of impact, um, I, you talk a lot about the impact of Christian nationalism. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and it has a bigger impact than I think any of us would like. But do you ever, you know, I know you don't come across this way in your videos, but are you ever scared about where it's going to lead? Because I definitely have some semblance of fear when I see a lot of these videos and I read these tweets and I hear these messages and I've seen the comparison videos of like the KKK back in the day and, you know, vernacular that's being used now. And it's so unsettling that this is where we are in 2022. And I know we always say that history repeats itself, but it's actually really scary that it is. So I'm just curious if you ever have those moments when you're like, this is actually kind of scary that we're in this position right now. Mm. Yeah, I, I honestly can say, I think for the first time in my life this past year, I've had some real moments of like, I'm concerned about the future of the country. Like for real, yeah. I'm afraid that these policies will affect my wife or my, my kids. I ultimately think, again, as a white man, I'm probably going to be safe for quote unquote, for a lot of the impact, right, directly. But it does scare me. Um, Christian nationalism numerically is a fringe movement, statistically speaking, as far as like the actual ambassadors of Christian nationalism. This is Samuel Perry, his work researched this. But as far as power and funding and control, that's where they're really stacked. I mean, one example of this is white evangelical Protestants are the only group in America who support overturning Roe v. Wade. Hmm. They got it done. They played the long game. They stacked the court. They're well-funded. They knew what they were doing yeah. and they got it done. So not a very big group numerically, maybe about a couple million, you know, 25, 30 million people out of 300 yeah. million isn't a ton, right? but they got it done. <laughs> so I think that's the concern. And because that world is purposely blind to power dynamics, so that's when they'll call things, you know, Critical race theory. Oh, that's liberal. Because they have no categories for those things, they're they that allows them to be ignorant, ignorant, quote unquote, while still maintaining power. It's actually a perfect rift when you think about it. It's it's, it's brilliantly <laughs> yeah. constructed. Oh, we don't see power, we're just always in charge. Yeah. Oh, we don't see color, white people always flourish. That's oh, the idea wow. behind it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think I'm concerned. And my my honest concern for the future, and I don't say this lightly. If people follow our account, they know that we do our best not to sound like fear mongers. We're not trying to be that way. I think that we are seeing the beginnings of the theological frameworks being laid for justifying political violence from Christian nationalism more and more. I think January 6th was a test run 
and to see far-right political pundits and churches today still believe that the election was stolen and really dismiss and downplay what happened, I think is only going to embolden people to start now creating theologies that sound awfully familiar in our in our history, if you mm-hmm. catch my drift, mm-hmm. that will justify why people can take land for quote-unquote God and kill the people who already inhabit it or mm-hmm. imprison them. That's mm-hmm. what concerns me, honestly. Yeah. 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 So moving forward, what do you feel like your responsibility is as Tim, as the creator of the new evangelicals with kind of what the political climate is and what Christian nationalism is doing and just Christianity as a whole? Yeah, I think I, I think the new evangelicals, we have like three pillars that we kind of see as our responsibilities. I think the first one is that we have to advocate for our neighbor. And I think that a lot of that is 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 calling to public attention what Christian nationalists are saying. The shadow fund networks that want to stay in the background that are funding all this um, and just really critique and call out the dangers of this like conservative evangelical movement right now between its theology that wants to dehumanize people who don't look like them. Right. Or the Christian nationalists who either are attached to that theology or who are the political Christian nationalists. That That's Trump. I don't think Trump is a real Christian, honestly. And I of think Christian national. <laughs> yeah, but I, I said that because he's not even a real person. <laughs> <laughs> he's a robot. I say that because I definitely think that Christian nationalism is they're real Christians. That's what scares me. But hmm. I think Trump is a political opportunist. So he, he hopped onto that bandwagon. He would have been so, on the Democratic platform if that he thought that would have worked better for him. You're ex- exactly right. Exactly right. So, um, so I think that's a responsibility. And I mm-hmm. think uh, we have a responsibility to facilitate space for people to be able to tell their stories about, about their process of disentangling their faith from all this and their church abuse and trauma, and hopefully trying and help them explore the Christian tradition moving forward. So those are kind of like our three main pillars that we feel responsible for, um, as well as connecting with other people and trying to help, you know, others kind of journey through this but yeah i would say advocacy holding space and helping people explore the christian tradition away from um white evangelical fundamentalism i think are the three things that we um are responsible for in our community i love it doing what jesus would do trying (laughs) imagine that uh well you know i'm just a fan a friend i think you're amazing you're doing great things i'm really grateful to be a part of your community i'm proud to call you a friend um, thank you so much for being on the show. Can you let everyone know where they can follow you and keep up with the incredible work that you are doing with New Evangelicals? Sure, but also right back at you. I'm I'm proud to call you a friend. I love working with you. It's great. I love our chats on the side. So yeah. I really can't wait to get to hang out one day and actually meet in person. You know, absolutely. So one day it will we can, happen. And we can sure. talk music and talk in ears and click yes. all the fun stuff. <laughs> And click um, tracks. And click anyway. tracks. I love them, <laughs> by the way. Anyway, um, so yeah, anywhere that the new evangelicals are, pretty much is us. So on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, uh, we have a website that's under development. We have a podcast that's, I think, 85 episodes in right now as of this recording with really amazing people. There's some amazing theologians that we've talked to, including Melinda. Oh. So you can check out my interview <laughs> with Melinda. Um, but yeah, so that's where you can find us. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Tim. And we will chat soon. Definitely. And to the listeners, thank you again for supporting We Need to Talk. We have two more episodes left before we take a mid-season break for the holidays, but we'll be back next week with a brand new conversation. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe. Thanks.